Hello, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Ali, part of the leadership support team here at Sterling Vineyard. Today marks one whole year of Church Online and this is our 50th service. I don't think any of us thought we'd still be here one year on and despite not being able to meet in person, I'm so glad that we still have ways that we can all connect together. This week, we continue our sermon series in the book of Nehemiah as we explore the theme of building to last. Last week we heard Hannah, uh, she spoke about how we are to prioritise the poor. Hannah told us that through reading his word and by praying, we can get a real sense of God's heart for the poor. Next, we need to activate to do something about where we feel God leading us. One thing I took away from last week was that whilst it's easy to be overwhelmed by the seemingly impossible task at hand, we shouldn't let that discourage us, but rather we should start with where we're at with the people right in front of us. As we give what we have, so we are entrusted with more and our influence and impact can grow as we lay strong foundations. Previously, we've seen that Nehemiah is a man of action. He was distressed by the situation in Jerusalem and instead of wallowing in self-pity and grief, he responds with prayer and action. He knew that God wanted him to motivate the Jews to rebuild the walls of the city so he left an important job in the palace of the king to pursue God's call on his life. We've seen him prepare and plan for the walls rebuilding followed by the practical application of that preparation. We've seen him overcome fierce opposition to his plans fighting with sword in one hand and trowel in the other and we've seen him stand for injustice in the city and defend the oppressed. So now we come to chapters six and seven that sees the completion of the wall and the dream become reality. Before we get to the victory, there's one last bit of opposition to navigate first. As Fiona said a couple of weeks ago, don't be surprised if you find opposition by way of discouragement when you step up to what God has called you to do. Desperate times call for desperate measures and in the case of the thorns in Nehemiah's side, Sambalat and Tobiah have one or two tricks up their sleeves in their attempt to derail Nehemiah and his dream. Before we read from the first section for today, I just want to pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Open our hearts and our minds to hear you this morning. We welcome your Holy Spirit here and ask for wisdom and understanding as we explore your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 6 says this. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set the door, up the doors in the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. I realised they were plotting to harm me so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet up with you? Four times they sent the same message and with each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand and it, this is what it said. There is a rumour among the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me that it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. 
You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making the whole, up the whole thing. They were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done. And remember Nodiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Amen. So Sambalat and Tobiah were getting desperate. The wall was almost complete and their efforts to stop its construction were failing. Sambalat's previous attempts at discouraging, mocking and intimidating the Jews clearly hadn't worked. So he tried to change his approach, centering his attacks on Nehemiah's character. They attacked him with rumours, deceit and false reports, often unjustified personal attacks like these are the ones that hurt us the most. It can be so difficult to cut through the noise and focus on the truth when we're being bombarded with lie after lie. And sometimes we feel we end up believing these lies that have been spoken over us. This isn't what God has for you. We can take heart from Nehemiah's example. He trusts in God, knows his identity and knows his purpose. Wisdom in times of crisis, particularly personal crisis, can be so hard to come by, but it's important to surround ourselves with those whom we trust, those whom build us up, and those who know God's best for our lives. There's also a warning in there to weigh and test words that are spoken over us in times like these. Shemaiah tried to convince Nehemiah to take refuge in the temple, which on the face of it seems like a good idea. You know, he was being faced with mortal danger. This, however, would have been wrong as Nehemiah wasn't a priest and that wasn't allowed as per the Jewish custom. People often misuse God's name by saying that they know God's will but have other motives. We should self-examine self-proclaimed messengers from God to see if what is being said is consistent with God's word. Nehemiah couldn't run and he couldn't hide. If he tried to run, he would have undermined the courage he was trying to instill in the people building the wall. So Nehemiah stands firm he prevails once again and triumphs over the adversity. The liars have been silenced and victory is in hand. We continue the passage uh, from chapter 6 verse 15 uh, to chapter 7 verse 3. It says this. So on October 2nd the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it they were frightened and humiliated. They realised this work had been done with the help of our God. But those 52 during those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehonanan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told 
him everything I said, and Tobiah kept setting, sending threatening letters to intimidate me. After the wall was finished and I set the doors in the gates, the gatekeepers, singers and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than the most. I said to them, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day, and even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. Now this is the big moment. The wall is finished. They have prevailed. They have the victory. We've seen Nehemiah harbour an incredible vision and dream for his city. We've seen him rally the people together for this common purpose in unity to rebuild the city. The wall is built. Nehemiah and his team completed this work in 52 days. To complete such work in this time scale was a miracle. The neighbouring nations knew that this was the divine work of God. The passage says that the surrounding nations heard about this. They were greatly afraid and they lost all their self-confidence because they knew that God was on their side. This was a miracle. Nehemiah had faith. He had a vision for his city. And in this section, we see that come to pass. The prayers that instigated the work and the unity and common purpose combined with divine intervention sees this dream come to fruition. I don't think it can be overstated just how big a task this was. The wall was two and a half miles long, eight feet thick, 39 feet high. For those who work in the metric system, that's four kilometers long, two and a half meters thick and 12 meters high. This was no small feat. This was an undertaking of mammoth proportions. Those of you who know me will know that I'm a civil engineer. So this passage is right up my street. Now I tend to deal in the construction uh, and design of road infrastructure so it's a little bit different to wall building but this wall is longer than a lot of roads that I've designed. The design and construction of major infrastructure takes years. Now in the times of Nehemiah there probably wasn't all the red tape and design standards that have to be adhered to these days and he had a decree from the king that allowed him to proceed with the work but just like any major project these days there was plenty of opposition trying to slow him down. Later in history, in the 16th century, the Ottoman Empire restored the ruined walls of Jerusalem and do you know how long it took them? Four years. With that in mind, it's increasingly difficult to dispute that the completion of the wall in 52 days was no miracle. This was miraculous and victorious. There's stark contrast to the preceding chapters that have been filled with trials and opposition. We can sometimes find it easier to relate to the parts of the Bible that talk about adversity and struggle rather when it talks about victory and miracles. When we're faced with reports of miracles, it can be hard to relate if we don't have any contemporary experience to draw upon. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, Ali, I don't know what you're talking about. I believe in miracles. I've seen miracles happen. And if that's you, then that is incredible. But equally, there may be some people sitting here today who are desperate for that answer to a lifelong prayer. Not sure if the God of the Bible is still working miracles today. Now, we in the vineyard, we believe that God is as active now as he was when the Bible was written and that he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell among his people. We believe in healing, 
We believe in answered prayer. We believe in miracles. So if you are sitting there today and you are unsure, then I encourage you to do as Nehemiah has done in the previous chapters, to persevere, to dig in, because the God that we serve is a God of miracles. And that's what this chapter reminds us. God is a God of miracles. When God shows up, he gets the job done. So if we're all happy up to this point, what I want to ask you now is what is your vision? What is your dream? What do you want to see done in our city that we serve? If you've got a pen and paper, I just encourage you just to write that down. Our mission statement here at Sterling Vineyard is encountering Jesus, serving our city and taking God's presence as we go. We want to be a church of action, a church that is filled with the presence of God that serves the city. What do you want to see done here? So now we've established the what. My next question to you is, what if that dream and vision is only 52 days away? Does that alter the way that we go about seeing that dream become reality? It's great to spend time thinking about the future and sometimes our dreams can seem a million miles away. We build up in our heads all the obstacles that are in our way or all the processes that we need to go through to get to the end. What if there's another way? The more we convince ourselves of the overwhelming obstacles, the more we give ourselves permission not to step into fulfillment. There comes a time and a point that we need to move from dreaming to doing, from the ambition to the activation. As we change our mindset from one of defense to one of offense, we need, how does that change our expectations, our faith, our belief in the God of miracles? What if that dream for our city is just 52 days away? What do we do? Let's not believe the lie that churches don't change cities. Let's believe in the God of the 52 days. We need to move from that dream to start with that first conversation, that first action that starts the ball rolling. We are all in this together. We all need to pull together. Everyone has a part to play to build the wall. Those that Nehemiah gathered weren't expert builders. It wasn't what they knew. It was, it was about who they knew was on their side. There might be some of you here today that feel totally unequipped for what God has in store for you, but that's okay. Just because you don't feel equipped doesn't disqualify you. On the contrary, the knowledge that you couldn't possibly realize this dream on your own is the evidence that only by God's power can the vision become reality. What's your dream for Sterling? And what if that is only 52 days away? One of the things that makes Sterling stand out from its neighbors, aside from its deep historical roots, is the fact that we are a university city. If you were to tell me that we were 52 days of action away from seeing the lives of our students transformed by the knowledge and experience of Jesus, would it change the way we go about that vision? How do we start building the wall with our students? How do we start reaching out to those who don't know Jesus? How do we serve those in need in our city? I'm not necessarily talking about grand actions and events. It all starts with that first conversation. I read something that Mike Pilavacci said on Facebook the other day. He said, keep talking about revival and you're, you're likely to end up with disappointed and disillusioned people. Keep talking about Jesus and you're likely to end up with revival. Our greatest need is the, in the church is more knowledge and experience of Jesus, not gimmicks, not hype, not better marketing or a more entertaining show just Jesus. The obstacles may be big and real, but the possibilities are bigger than we could possibly imagine. Nehemiah didn't train everyone up, but everyone played their role. 
What is your role in seeing our city transformed? If the dream is closer than we think, we better be sure to know what to do when it gets here. What do we do when the dream is fulfilled? In this passage, the first thing Nehemiah does is he appoints the gatekeepers to defend and watch over the musicians to fill it with worship and the Levites to pray over the city. He establishes prayer and worship as soon as the doors are in place and the wall and vision is complete. Nehemiah shows us that this is the ultimate goal, the dream beyond all dreams. The presence of God is the ultimate destination for the people of God. Sometimes prayer can seem like a means to an end rather than the end itself. I wonder if all our dreams came true, you might ask what would we have to pray about? It can be so easy to treat our prayer life like a one-way list of requests. It was never meant to be that way. In small group this week, Mia reminded us all that the Lord's Prayer doesn't begin with a request, but it begins with acknowledging God our Father in heaven and exalting his name and asking for a glimpse of heaven here on earth. Only once we have done all that are we to ask for what we need, our daily bread, the sustenance for life. You see, Nehemiah shows us that this is the destination. Prayer and worship is what we're aiming for. The vision is complete, the wall is complete, and it's all about the one who is worthy. We are called to constant prayer and constant worship. This sits above all dreams and all visions. It is all about glorifying the one. This is what we long for here at Sterling Vineyard, to be known for carrying the presence of God wherever we go. Now, I believe that as we dedicate ourselves to prayer and worship, we will tune into God's heart. And through that, the miracles will take place. Are our lives focused on giving ourselves to God in prayer and worship? The way that we approach worship is also important. It can do incredible things for us, but we lose our focus if we think it is about us. You sometimes hear people say, I don't really get anything out of worship today. And you know what? That's okay. It's not about us. It's not about what we get. It's about what we can give. It's about elevating him, not satisfying ourselves. Do we approach it like entertainment or encounter? It needs to be about elevating the one who is worthy. We are the ones who worship God. That is what transforms our lives, transforms our minds, our hearts and our city. We are called to it. The city of God is to be a place of worship. It is the destination, not a means to an end. It is a way of saying, you are God and I am not. What if it's not about walls at all? The walls are built and then the city is inhabited. It isn't going to be the buildings that change our city. It's going to be us. It's going to be God with us that leads the charge. So how do we respond? I'd really encourage you to think about your dreams and your vision for, tra for the transformation of our city. How can we as a church lead the charge? What part do you have to play in it all? And what if the vision is closer than you think? Let's act like we are moments away from radical breakthrough. Let's press into God praying and worshiping without restraint and put our hope and expectant, expectant faith in the one who is worthy, the God of miracles. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so much bigger than our wildest dreams. Thank you that you overcome the obstacles in our path. 
no matter how insurmountable they may appear. Thank you for your plans for our lives. Lord, may we tune in to what you have for us. May we go deeper in understanding and the calling on our lives and the role that we play in your church. God, may our lives be ones of worship and prayer, filling our homes and our neighbourhoods with your presence as we go. Lord, lead us. Would you lead us and would we follow you faithfully? And would you be glorified in everything that we do? Amen.